I love when we applaud for prayer. That was a good prayer, Natalie. Thank you. Yes, we've been in the series, as Natalie mentioned, just asking if you were to have coffee with uh, Jesus, what would be that one question that you would ask? And we thought we would ask the question, why should I believe in your Bible? I was thinking and reflecting upon my relationship and connection to Scripture and my perspective of Scripture. And um, thinking my first memories of Scripture is probably my mom reading Scripture by herself, just devotionally. In fact, I, I still have this. Some of you from an older generation of mine might recognize this. I guess this was the hot seller in the day. This was actually a... Um, Bible that it's inscripted from my grandparents to my father. It says, to our dear son on his 36th birthday, June 19th, 1972, mother and father. It's this padded, I don't know if there's many books that pad the, the, the cover to that. And I remember that uh, my mom and sometimes my dad just reading in the kitchen. So I think at a very early age, I saw Scripture as something to be read and reflected on, and my mom was fed uh, by that. But I'd have to say that as I grew up, that my belief and conviction for Scripture was challenged. That there were doubts that were sown about its reliability. In fact, it's been said is that no book outside of Scripture has been more prodded and challenged and questioned and undercut than the Bible. I remember middle school and high school hearing people quote the Bible, but oftentimes it was to condemn behavior of others or justify their own bad behavior. Have you ever heard that, where people quote scripture? And as I heard that, I, I didn't like that. And, and it seemed not a great use, and I felt like the Lord kind of moved scripture a little bit away from my heart and mind as I thought about that more and more. There was um, a teacher in high school, his name was Mr. Mahalik. And we all saw him as he's super smart. He led the, the politics class and he used to teach in such a way that he would build up a, a kind of this picture that was somewhat offensive, whether it was political or, or racial or religious and challenge us to knock it down. I remember he paid us, or uh, didn't pay us, he gave us points, which was like money to us in high school. He gave us points if we brought a Bible to class. And we brought it, my mom was like, oh, you're bringing Bible class. I'm like, yeah, but I kept it hidden, you know. And we got there, and as we looked at the messages of Jesus, I still remember Mr. Mahalik's conclusions that Jesus was the first communist And thereby the early church, you know, Ananias and Sapphira, they were killed when they didn't share all their money or weren't honest about that. They were first, the first communist regime. 
that just kind of made me question a little bit the reliability of Scripture. I remember my dad. Ooh, I was going to see if that, I think the Lord's okay with that. We're going to still work on this. I remember my dad, he was really influenced by some liberal theologians from Germany. And he believed that there was no supernatural in Scripture. That when there was like mention of demonic possession, when there was mentions of healing even, like demonic obsession, that, that just, they didn't understand psychological dynamics. So that wasn't true. They weren't enlightened. And all the stories of healing, of course we don't know those, those don't happen. We're, we're people of science. And so they were really illustrated, exaggerated, right? The, the, the fish and the loaves, the multiplication, that was to teach us generosity. That caused me, again, a little bit more distance between me and the scriptures. I think very much if I were listening to a sermon message my freshman year of college, and I got to ask one question, maybe I didn't have the clarity, but I would have said, Lord, why should I believe your scriptures if there's inconsistencies in it, if there's errors in it, if it's unenlightened and the teaching is dated. Why should I believe your Bible? Now again, there is a short answer because Jesus could say, because I said so, right? Worship team, come on up. That's, uh, you guys... But I, I felt like the Lord gave me a longer answer. In fact, this is the answer in hindsight that I think he said. Come, let me show you. W- would you follow me, Eric? And would you let me teach you how to view Scripture? You see, two things happened on my freshman year that I remember succinctly. The first one was, is I was meeting with a Christian leader. She was a senior, and we were talking about Scripture, and I made a statement that I thought would be really positive. I said, you know, even though the Bible is full of errors, I still believe in the Lord. I thought she'd be like, awesome, Eric, that's really awesome. I just assumed everybody saw Scripture as full of errors, that we know that. She didn't take it as a positive statement. She took it as a challenge. She said, full of errors, name one. And I said, okay, yeah. And I came up with something about Old Testament, New Testament. I don't know. I I figured out something. She graciously let me off. But in that moment, I realized that I was making all these assumptions about Scripture, and I never actually read it myself that maybe I should rectify that and and start to read it. The second incident came when I started reading the Gospel of John because of a Bible study I was in. I started actually just opening it up myself one-on-one. And as I shared a few weeks ago, 
I heard his voice in the pages of Scripture. In this outdated, unenlightened book, I heard his voice say, come follow me. And what was I supposed to do with that? I hear his voice in this book that I had some serious doubts on. And so what I felt like Jesus did is he began a discipleship work to teach me how to understand kind of a longer answer of why should I believe the Bible. What I'd like to do this morning is I'd like you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, if you've brought your Bibles, chapter 24, and we're going to look at, for, uh, for many of us, a familiar story. Some of us might not be aware of this road. It's right after Jesus. He hasn't ascended yet, as Jedediah talked about this morning. Right? He's resurrected. It's after the cross. He's resurrected. The, the disciples are still wondering if, if this really happened. They, do, they don't know why he died on the cross. They don't know, but they've heard this idea that he's been resurrected by some of the women, and they're still unsure. Two of these disciples are on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus coyly, slyly appears and begins journeying with them, but they don't know it's Jesus. And what I'd like you to do this morning is enjoy the story. Well, we'll have the story up there, but enjoy the story. But would you think about this question? How does Jesus view the scriptures? How does Jesus not only view the scriptures, how does he want you to view the scriptures. Luke chapter 24. I'm going to pick it up in verse 22. It's somewhat of a longer story. Read it on your own. It's a beautiful story, right? They're, they're on the road to Emmaus, Cleopas and a friend, fellow disciple. Verse, and and uh, Jesus says, what, what's happening? And they're like, you don't know. And they say, Jesus was this prophet, mighty in power indeed, we, we had hoped, we had hoped that he would redeem Israel. And then verse 22, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They, they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He, remember this is Jesus, they don't recognize him yet. He said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter the glory? And, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. I love that Jesus kind of faked, like, okay, let's. But he wanted to stay, I think. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he sat at the table with them, he took bread, gave things, broke it, and began to give it them, give it to them. Allusion to the sacrament of communion. Perhaps they saw his hands. Perhaps the scars were still there. Verse 31. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? People of God, this is the word of God. He opened the scriptures to them and their hearts burned within them. Part of my testimony of how I were... Uh, view scripture and belief as I began, I made a decision that 15 to 20 minutes every morning in college, I'd start reading and asking questions on my own. And as I began to do that, he began to speak to me, not just through the gospel of John, but through the Psalms, through the law of Moses, Even through Revelation, that was the first book I chose to study. And there were moments, remember I'm in college and I'm reading a lot of textbooks, right? There's a lot of textbooks in college, right, Luke? Yes. It was this book that my heart would be lit on fire. And it was as if he was speaking to me and I realized this This 15 to 20 minutes in the morning, I felt like I was getting more of an education on life than all the textbooks put together because I was hearing the voice of God. I would say the the first thing to notice about Jesus' perspective of the scriptures is that he does not see it as full of inconsistencies. He doesn't see it as merely as I would say I did that freshman year as as some well-intentioned people sharing wisdom and advice in different generations. That's how I would sum up my, my view of Scripture. No, he didn't see it that way. He saw it as revelation. He saw it as the word of God being made manifest in our midst. In fact, there's a neat Greek word that the Apostle Paul will use in reference to Scripture. And that Greek word is theonoustos. Theo is God. Noustos can be translated as breath. God breathed divinely inspired, that that God spoke through 
people, that God is a God who speaks, that God desires for us not to remain in darkness, not to to be people that are wrestling with falsehoods and wondering what this world is about, that God's desire is that he would share his truth, his revelation, and that truth would set us free. So he decided to breathe into human beings and reveal his word. Listen to how the apostle Peter talks about revelation and prophecy in scripture. It says this, for, uh, uh, Second Peter uh, in chapter 1, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will. Well, that's significant. I would say Jesus would agree with that perspective. That prophecy never had its origin in in the human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I love to think of this analogy of a sailboat with no rudder and that there are these human authors across time and their soul was like the sail and they had a special calling, these human authors of scripture that God would say, now's the right time and I'm going to... Theonustos, the the breath of God. I'm going to fill the soul of that author. And they're going to begin to write and copy. That's a different perspective, I would say, of what I was hearing in my secular environments. Interesting just to note that Jesus not only saw this as God breathed, but he saw this, scriptures, as telling the truth and revealing who he is. The significance of his death and the cross, the significance of his resurrection, the significance of what would happen soon in the ascension and his life with the Father. And he invites us to believe that as well. Think of Scott shared last week that over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament are fulfilled in the life of Christ. From a skeptic's perspective, I guess you could say, well, Jesus must have arranged his life to touch those. But like timing of his birth and the angels announced, that would be pretty hard to arrange, right, with the the prophecies? This incredible movement, this breath of God leading these authors, these human authors to reveal truth about who he is. Certainly, Jesus wants us to embrace this. Now, I want to talk, I want you to think about this theonoustos, but I also want you to think about another side of a spectrum. 
And I, I think some churches might not talk about this because they're fearful of an out of balance of this. But I want to talk about not only the divine revelation of God, but also the human side of revelation. When I was going to seminary, I had a good friend say, hey, Eric, don't lose your faith in seminary. Unfortunately, that happens. In part, that happens because in seminary, there is a deconstruction of Scripture. And we focus in on the human side, the authors, the time period, the genres, the context. And I want to suggest to you that there is a very healthy and mature way to look at the human side of revelation that will in fact build your faith and build your confidence in scripture. And there is a very unhealthy way to look at the human side of revelation, which unfortunately many seminaries can fall into and people lose their faith. I did have a seminary professor. They said, I love this passage of scripture. When I get to heaven, I'm going to find St. Luke and thank him for the first four verses of his gospel. Let's read those first couple of verses together. This is Luke writing and he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Luke, the inspired author, is saying, you know, others have written about the life of Christ Jesus. What I'm about to write, in fact, many believe that Luke, as an author, had the gospel of Mark available to him. And he was reading the gospel of Mark, another account, because there's word for word a lot of Luke, a lot of Mark in Luke. He goes on, he says, um, just as they were handed down to us by who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So probably Luke went to those surviving people that were around Christ, his apostles. I, I'm guessing he went to Mother Mary and said, Mary, would you tell me about Jesus? Because he's got so much of Mary's story that's in there that, that Luke, as an inspired author, actually went and interviewed people. And there was this verbal, the, this uh, history that they told and remembered. There were probably people that said, oh, don't forget this story of Jesus that's been part of our community of faith, that Luke was going in that way. And then he continues, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything, he was doing some investigative journalism in preparation to write Luke, from the beginning I too decided to write an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And I realized that the testimony of Scripture is not that the Bible dropped from heaven and we either believe it or we don't. The testimony of Scripture is also not that the human authors were, were like all of a sudden caught in a trance and, and their hands started writing, right? 
That's not the testimony of Scripture. The testimony of Scripture is that something far more beautiful happened over a period of thousands of years. At least 40 different authors, scholars, shepherds, philosophers and fishermen, politicians, poets, and prisoners, people of all different backgrounds, with different roles, in different contexts and and cultures, with, with different issues happening. In some way, these human authors were led to write in the inspiration that in the moment, God said, and it came together in this Part of the, the testimony that brings a greater reliability to me is this idea that of all these authors, this one truth, this one gospel, this one Jesus, this one message of hope and love is revealed. All of these authors coming together And sharing that God loves you. And he sent his son to forgive you and heal you and teach you how to live. Friends, I believe that Jesus, if you will allow him, just like Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus, if you would but read whatever level of doubt or question or insecurity that you have, if you would but read in very much the same way he wants to light your heart on fire with his truth. I think that Jesus also, it's important to understand that Jesus saw Scripture is not just revealing who he was and the significance of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension, but he saw Scripture as revealing the truth about God and life and how we should live it. He saw that scripture was the truth of all the other voices, of all the other books, of all the things that people say, of all the the talk show hosts and the magazines telling you how they think you should live, what's healthy and right, how to understand this world, how to view everything from politics to race to everything, all those voices. Jesus saw this as the author of life, revealing to you and I the right way to think and live. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yes, that, that, that we would be given this and, and it would be revealed that Jesus, when he, his most famous teaching is the Sermon on the Mount, what would he do? He would take a passage from the Old Testament and say, you've heard it said, but I said to you, he was teaching us to interpret and understand and apply rightly the Old Testament. Did you know that Jesus quotes the Old Testament at least over 40 times? 
I think something like 14 or 16 books that he, uh, from the Old Testament that he references and uses and shares as truth and says, live like this. And parable, he understood the, the ultimate truth. His main idea was the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is, this is what's happening in the kingdom and this is therefore how you should live. That Jesus was sharing again and again the truth of Scripture and saying, live like this. I believe that should lead us. That God is a God who speaks and is speaking to study and to wrestle and even love, not in an idolatry type of way, but to love the voice of God as he speaks and reveals in Scripture. I learned to appreciate this Second Peter three sixteen, the Scripture. This is the Apostle Peter writing about the Apostle Paul's writing in other New Testament Scriptures. He writes. He writes the same way Paul in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. I was like, oh, that is so good to read. That Even Peter, now, sometimes it's hard to understand Scripture. But then he says, which ignorant and unstable people distort, and they do the other, as they do other Scriptures, so they're, uh, to their own destruction. I said, I'm so happy that others find some parts hard to understand. I don't want to distort the Scripture. In fact, I learned when I came on something I didn't understand that I would hold it and give it to the Lord and say, Lord, would you teach me? I don't get it right now. I'm missing it right now. I certainly don't want to preach on this right now. Would you teach me in this? I also realized that almost every question I had about the reliability of Scripture, some person much smarter than me, often a group of people have thought about that very same question and have answered it in faithful ways. That I could ask mentors and people I cared about and I began to realize and see that oftentimes how scripture was represented was a distortion of the truth. And that I, for example, I, I remember hearing from leaders that I uh, respected that, that Paul was a chauvinist. He was a man of his time. And he wanted to keep women down. And as I began to read and study, I began to see and understand that in fact, Paul was not a chauvinist. He was revolutionary for women and by the way, to social justice and racial justice issues. That in fact, Paul was divinely inspired. And again, that moved more of that reliability of Scripture. I want to state this. In fact, uh, Luke goes on to share that Paul appears to Cleopas and friend and he disappears and then he shows up to some of the apostles. 
Just a few verses later in the story that we read. And then it says this. He said to them, the apostles, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. See, even in a resurrected form, Jesus is discipling his apostles in the word. Then he opened up their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Friends, I believe that's the heart of Christ today for you and me. If we would invite him, if we would let him, if we would open the scriptures, he wants to open up our minds, not only in how we see scripture, but how we see God how we see the world around us and our lives together. One more point I want to make that I think was a crucial point in my perspective with Jesus and his word is that Jesus saw and affirmed the scripture as the final authority to be obeyed as the final authority in which he elevated the scriptures to the primary place and truth of understanding. I'm not going to unpack this like I planned because we're running out of time. I just want to show you this something, a discipleship tool that we use here at the church. It's, it's a kind of, call, we'll call it a, what, a graphic, Stephen? Is that what I'm supposed to call it? Not a quadrilateral? Oh, I said it. Okay. Would you go to the graphic and, and see this? Go one more, uh, one more screen up there, and there's a quadrilateral. Can we go one more in the uh, PowerPoint? Is it there? Oh, oh, okay. It's just not on my screen. So this relates to the question of how do you decide what's right or wrong? How do you decide what's true? How do you decide how to live? Well, a lot of us, there's these sources of understanding and truth. You've got your personal experience and your personal life. You've got reason and science. You've got friends and family. You even got the voice of the Spirit, yes? And yet, at the center of those things is the word of God, is the revelation of God. And here's the mistake that many of us Christians make, is that we allow our experience or reason or friends and family to interpret Scripture and trump Scripture rather than the other way around. Yes, God wants us to ask questions of the Scripture, to bring our personal experience, to bring what we think the Holy Spirit is saying, all of those things, but at the end of the day, He's asking us to allow Scripture to be the final authority in our lives. Pete, are you writing down the quadrilateral in your notes there? (laughs) 
free cup of coffee for Pete. Yes, that's right. Yes, you see, this is crucial, friends. This is crucial. Because I believe wholeheartedly that the enemy has had a strategy of devaluing the word of God in our hearts and minds. And, and it's, been, it's been slow. It, it, it's been a work that we've barely recognized it. And now even many of our leaders are letting go of the core truths that are plainly re, re, revealed in Scripture. And that is not okay. If you want to experience renewal in your life, if the church is ever going to experience renewal in this world, it's got to get back to seeing Scripture as the revealed Word of God, Theonoustos, and he's informing and shaping and discipling us today in a fresh way. He is lighting our hearts on fire, as the scripture says. All right, two pictures real quick that I want to leave you with. The first is this, is scripture as a manual for life. You can approach scripture in a very practical way. It's not specifically going to answer everything, but through the spirit of God, through counsel, through wisdom, through community, he wants to teach us very practically how to live. That Theonoustos scripture, 2 Timothy, says this. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What kind of husband does God want me to be? What kind of father does God want me to be? Right? The, there's a manual in this scripture that in many ways he wants us to read it practically. He wants us to look at it. He wants us to study subjects in it and allow his spirit to speak in the midst of that. Here's this other picture that I like to share. This idea of love letter. John 5, 39 says this, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. At the core of the scriptures, God wants to reveal himself. He is our creator and he wants to teach us who he is. His love for us. Sometimes I read in a different way. In fact, I, I think my, picture, my, my parents were an interesting model of this. My dad studied the scriptures like a manual, and my mom read it devotionally. I think it works best when we do both. That sometimes he's saying, I want to teach you, Eric, no, 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 you're missing it on, on how to be a pastor. Let me teach you on this. And then there's other times he's just saying, I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to see my tears as 
I interacted with people and my tears for you in this moment of pain and struggle. I want to be close to you. Friends, I believe that the answer to why should I believe the Bible is an ongoing one that says, Jesus wants to show you. Jesus wants to disciple you. Jesus wants to speak to you in a fresh day about your life every day. Would you give him the opportunity to answer that? Let's pray. Would you just think between you and the Lord for a moment how much time and attention you are giving to the word in Revelation. Maybe the Lord would say, well done, and be pleased with the sacred rhythms, the the habit of study. And you should hear that. But for some of us, this incredible truth that God speaks in a fresh way, that it's living, his word is living and active, and yet it remains on the coffee table. It remains on the shelf. Would you just ask him, how would he have you change your habit, your relationship with the scriptures?